0: So I'm delighted to be back, and I want to talk to you about an issue of authority. Authority means power, and you've got it, but do you know it? I want to start with an idea that you'll read in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus is getting ready to send out the disciples into the great world-changing life message and ministry of the gospel. In Matthew 28, he is commissioning them, sending them out. And he says this to them. All authority has been given to me. What does that mean? Jesus is saying Adam lost authority as Lord over the planet in that dark garden thousands of years ago. But I, in another dark garden, got the authority back. Therefore, I am the Lord and therefore I have all authority given to me over this earth. And I'm giving it to you to send you out to preach the gospel that reconciliation with God is now possible. We can become His children now because of my sacrifice. And I want you to go out and when people respond to that invitation, I want you to baptize them initiating under my authority. So that's Matthew 28, my paraphrase. You can read it and see. But then we have more on this idea from the words of our Lord. And let's go to this next scripture. I'll read this. He is instructing his disciples. And let me just say. There might be those who would conclude that he was only speaking to them then, but I would say he started the conversation with them. But the echo continues in the 21st century. The meaning and application is still relevant for you and I, for we are still his followers, his disciples. And he begins the conversation, and he says this to them. Listen carefully. When Jesus says listen carefully, we want to listen carefully, thoughtfully, with discernment and consideration. Listen carefully. I have given, not maybe, I have given you, not somebody else, not your head pastor, you. You're mine. I've given you. I have given you authority, that means power. I have given you authority that you now, not tomorrow, that you now possess. Or don't you know? I grew up in religious culture. Nobody ever told me. Nobody ever taught me. Like a big blank spot in doctrine and theology. No one told me. Thus, life pushed me around. I have given you authority that you now possess. To do what? To tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan. That is, government isn't the enemy. Dictators are not the enemy. Criminals are not the enemy. Your neighbor isn't the enemy. Satan hijacks people and uses them like puppetry that His will materially is effected upon us. But He is the enemy, always behind the scenes. You see, having lived for years in Asia, I have a new worldview. I grew up in Western culture with a Greek worldview, and that kind of worldview that says, only science tells me what the truth is, because science quantifies what we, de- what we discern with our five senses in the material world. And that is useful, but it is not the whole story. And the Asian worldview is that behind all the glittering high-rises and high-fine education and all the scientific tools of inquiry, they only tell us a limited story, but because there is a world beyond the material world, That your senses don't see and touch, but which we begin to intuit and perceive when we are aware that behind the physical world is the pre-existing spiritual world. C.S. Lewis, the author philosopher, called it the unseen but real. And so it's a good thing we've been given this authority because we need it. We live in the presence of evil and powers that are dark forces working against us but I've been given authority and so have you not to be victimized but to have victory now that may need to be defined but let me continue so I've given you this authority over the enemy Satan and nothing will in any way harm you and that may mean not always mortally but if we belong to God and forever then we are in that sense secure Whether I live or die, because I will live and one day I will die. But whether I live or die, I belong to God. And nothing can take that away from me. Yet he does say, nevertheless, don't rejoice over this fact that the spirits are subject to you now. Rather, rejoice. Oh, look, I put Pastor Joyce's name in there. She couldn't be with us today. Hi, Joyce. Rather, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That is your biggest victory. Now, that verse, do you get an idea here Jesus is telling you something? You have been given authority. Whether you ever grew up hearing it in a church, whether you ever, ever learned it before, now you have heard it from the lips of your Savior and the Lord who has power and he has conferred it on you. Continue to this story then we're going to tell. Now that we know he has all authority and that he has invested it in us, go to the next verse and we'll read that. This is a story that's familiar to many of us. If we've walked with God for a while, you'll find it in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. And this story is a story about a storm and the authority to deal with it. Because as you know, storms happen literally and metaphorically. Here we go. On that same day when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples with him, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the large crowd he had been teaching, he and the disciples promptly got in a boat and set sail. Other boats were also with them. Then, while they were underway, a furious storm of hurricane proportions arose, and the waves kept beating into the boat so that it was becoming filled with water. Jesus was in the back of the boat, asleep on a leather cushion, So like him. And the disciples went to him in their alarm, and they said, Master, don't you care that we're perishing here? Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind, and then he spoke to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was immediate great calm, perfect peacefulness. Then Jesus turned and said to them, Why are you so timid and fearful? How is it that you have no no faith, no firm, relying trust in me? And they were filled with great awe and feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, having said it, leave this verse up there a moment and let's walk through this point by point. Because this is not just a little story about Jesus and the disciples on the lake. This is your life and mine. And here is the echo and application for our 21st century lives. They were doing the will of God. Jesus had been teaching all day. Then he got into the boat and wanted to sail to the other side. And the disciples obeyed. And so when the Lord and Savior, when Jesus says, let's go do this and you do it. Would you say you're in the will of God? You're doing the right thing. Therefore, the storm did not happen to them because they had been naughty and they were reaping a consequence. The storm happened when they were perfectly in the center of doing what they knew God asked them to do. So this did not happen because of some fault of theirs. Because many times when a storm breaks upon people and we see it happening to them, we wonder, oh, what did they do? Even ourselves. We can blame ourselves when the storm breaks in our lives and wonder, have I done something wrong that I am reaping some consequence? To be sure, we can make bad choices and to be sure there can be consequence. But many times, in spite of the imperfections in our lives, we are earnest about doing the will of God and we're walking in the light we've got and we're doing the best we know and that is not some kind of guarantee that bad things won't happen because we're living in a corrupted world and there is also the presence of evil. So whether you're walking with God, doing what you know you should, does not prevent a storm from ambushing you. Second thing, there they are in this storm, and when Jesus responds to their cry, he doesn't shame them, he doesn't rebuke them, he doesn't make fun of them, he does what they're hoping for. He rescues them. He intervenes. Don't be afraid to ask God to rescue you. And what does he do in the rescue? He uses his power, his authority, and he rebukes this storm and he speaks peace to the waves. In other words, it's a twofold approach of authority. The storm is the troublemaker. The waves are the troubled. The storm is the instigator. But the sea, having been agitated, has created the problem. So he must bring a twofold solution. He rebukes the instigator and then he speaks calm to the agitated. So think of it you're going to go home to a family reunion. You're going to go home and you know that there are family tensions and dysfunction. And you know that this reunion could be very troubled because there could be instigators. Why wait for the storm to break? Take authority. You're the God person. Maybe nobody else in family is. And you're the one whose power is greater than flesh and the devil. And you can say before you get to that reunion, may the trouble be stopped and may peace prevail in our time together. If you don't, who will? So this said Jesus does the double deed of rebuking the instigator and speaking peace to the agitated. And then he says to his disciples in the perfect learning moment, Jesus, the master teacher, he says to them. So why were you so timid? Timid is an interesting word in English. It basically means this. Why were you doubting your authority to do this? Why were you lacking the confidence? Why didn't you step up into this opportunity? Fine that you rely on me. I'll come and rescue you. But you know what? You're not a hapless five-year-old being pushed around by a bully. Actually, you have authority. Why did you not step into that authority? Why were you lacking confidence and doubting your power? Not shaming, inviting. Step in and step up. You're more empowered than you know. Or don't you know? And then he also says, and why were you so fearful? Meaning, why were you doubting my character and capability? I have not abandoned you. Just because I was asleep on a cushion, I was still in the boat with you. And if I were to call this message, any message I would call it, stormy weather, finding Jesus in your boat. Because if you are God's, he is in the boat with you. Or do you doubt his character? Do you doubt your value to him? Do you think you don't matter and somehow you've got to figure it out and fix it to impress him? Or is he already in the boat waiting for your call? You have authority and you are connected to your redeemer. Never alone. In the crisis that breaks suddenly upon you and of course i had to discover this myself like anybody else when you're 200 years old like i am you've been through a lot of storms you know how storms are just when you got the melodrama about your Wealth resolved. Then you turn the corner into the melodrama about your health. And then you resolve your wealth and your health. And then suddenly there's history that comes back to haunt you. Or then there's some drama about relationship today. There's always going to be the next corner you turn into. And God is still with you in the boat. Because Jesus in your life is not a good luck charm to prevent the bad. It's when the bad happens. Do you know he's in the boat with you? And do you know how to use your power? Therefore. I had a dream. Now, my daughter was pregnant. I was only able to father one child. My wife and I wanted to have a big family. My wife, you know, came from a large family. I was an only child. And I married a woman. We've been married now for 36 years. Karen is here. And, you know, Karen comes from a family where she was one of seven. I married a village of 52 people. It was my big fat Irish Catholic wedding. And, um, you know, We wanted to have more children, and we weren't able to. Sometimes in life you get what you want, and sometimes you don't. Is God good or not? We get to decide. This said, how grateful that we could have one child. We were very grateful to have a child. And now my daughter married. Now they were starting their own family. She was pregnant with our first grandchild five months along. We were all excited about this, of course, as happens. And yet I woke up from a dream. One day, I woke up from this dream, and the dream was very marked, very impacting. The kind you, <gasps> oh, thank God that was a dream. And in the dream, it started where I'm in a vehicle driving it in my car. My wife is with me, and in the back are my son-in-law and my daughter, and she's holding a baby. A light is shining on her, and she's holding a baby. Very obviously, she is pregnant. And they're in the car with me, and a terrible storm suddenly begins to ambush us and come upon us. And it's very threatening and intimidating. And so I take the car, and I drive against the wind under a strong iron canopy. Then, feeling protected, I get out of the car, and I rebuke the storm, and it begins to move away. I wake up from this dream, (gasps) and I look over at my wife in bed, and I say, Wow, I wonder what that was about, maybe too much pizza from last night? But it was that same day, in the evening of that day, that my daughter began to hemorrhage blood. Began to hemorrhage blood into her skin. It was not pregnancy related. Nobody knew at first what was going on, but her capillaries began to ooze blood, and blood began to pool down at her ankles because of gravity, and the doctor said, you take her to the hospital emergency room right now, jump ahead of the line, you go right to the front desk and have them look at her legs, and they will usher you in, and they did. And for the next eight hours, our daughter was in the ER as her fever spiked and her platelets that coagulate the blood began to disappear. Suddenly, my healthy little girl was now in danger for her life. I would say we were being swamped in the boat. The storm had come. I learned some things through this episode that I want to share with you. Because I believe in living a public life, which I have since 1984, that I have learned that your life becomes an example and I hope an inspiration and certainly an intercession for those I serve. God wastes nothing. And here's what I learned in my stormy experience that I hope will empower you from this day forward and not only for you, but for your city, for your nation, for the world You influence. This said, I learned three things. So conveniently stepping over to my weather map where we have (laughs) stormy weather. You know, the cool thing about a storm, they're not permanent. But in a storm, the action you take matters. And I like that word action or activate because it means stepping forward into something that you weren't bothering with before. So that's why when peace and prosperity of a culture deadens spirituality, if peace and prosperity won't lead you closer to God, then I can assure you there's nothing like the investment of a crisis to wake you up to what really matters. And in life on earth, we have lovely weather and we have storms. But when my storm broke, here are three things I learned to summarize and to serve you. And the first thing I learned was I had to do what the disciples did. They went and found Jesus in their boat. Smooth sailing, they would have let him lie dormant. But now that crisis had broken upon them, they went and activated their knowledge in him. And they went and they got him. Don't we live like that with God? As things are percolating along normal in life, we worship him. We sing songs that refocus us on his character. But we go on and make our choices and live our lives. And well, we should. But when a crisis happens, is he your go-to? You go and get him and bring him out of dormancy front and center. The Lord is ever-present, lives within me, and surrounds me. But when there's a crisis, your focus becomes very sharpened. And so activating relationships, too, I always say and use this phrase, God puts skin on. When I was with you last year, I shared how my church loved me so potently. I did not have to go back to old bread. They gave me something better. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And therefore, out of that fact, God is present in those around me who are believers do you follow that thinking and what I'm trying to say here is that when I was facing a crisis for the welfare of my daughter there was no shame in me that said oh I will be stiff upper lip and show the world how much power and strength and stoic control I have no I went out and I surrounded myself with anybody who would listen to me to pray for the welfare of my child. I took advantage of social media, pray for my child. I went to my pastor, to my elders, to my friends and said, pray for my child. I am so emotionally overwhelmed. This is a burden I alone cannot bear. I had to go get Jesus in my boat, but Jesus was also God's family, God with skin on, surrounding myself with their camaraderie. Nowhere did God intend you to bear suffering in silence and stoicism. Nowhere does God ask you to live in isolation like the Lord over your castle, surrounded by a moat and hope you've got yours for you. I've got mine for me. Hope we all make it. No, this is a different kind of family that God initiated, and so whatever culture teaches us must bow to the better culture of God's redemptive family. And Jesus paid a very high price on the cross that I could derive nourishment and support from God, His Spirit, and God's Spirit dressed up in the skin of His people. We need one another, especially in a crisis. Because it was a lot more than I could bear on my own. I activated relationship with God and other people. Then I had to activate faith. Now, what I mean by that, it sounds like an obvious thing, but let me explain. Many people kind of wear Jesus like a good luck charm, that if they do the right thing and they know the right thing and pray the right way, then the bad things don't happen. And this is called superstition, not faith. Superstition says if I know the right thing and I do the right thing, then the bad thing won't happen. So preventing the bad thing is up to me doing the right thing. When bad things happen in a corrupted world, even when you're doing the will of God and therefore faith isn't getting what you want, it's when you don't that you still have confidence in the character of God. People think if I have big faith, then I get the big name, the big ministry, the big bank account. But what if all those things are taken from you? Then will you have faith. Who has faith? The person who is healed in their wheelchair. And they rise up and walk and astound the community. It's a worthy miracle. And we should worship God for it. For He does those things. But how many other people do not get their miracle? But rather than curse God, they bless Him and give God what little they have left. I think specifically of Johnny Eric Sentata, the swimming champion who broke her neck in a diving accident at the base of her skull, woke up as a quadriplegic. She begged God to take her life, that she would not live trapped in a cage, but God did not let her die. She went on and she wrote 16 best-selling books. She became a gifted painter with a paintbrush between her teeth. She has created an entire industry and travels the world as a speaker trapped in a wheelchair. And people have said, if you had enough faith, God would raise you up out of that chair. What an insult. Because that woman trapped in a wheelchair does more in one year than 200,000 healthy Christians lift their finger to do in 10 years. It's not what got taken from her, it's what little she has left that she gives to God because she is confident in the character of God. And so when I'm talking about faith here, I am not talking about the kind of faith that says, oh, Lord, help me find better parking at the mall. I have prayed those prayers. Um, or, or maybe it's not the kind of prayer, oh, Lord, let my team win this year. I'm not looking at anybody. We all pray those kinds of prayers, or many of us do. I'm not talking the kind of faith that says, oh, Lord, thanks for the food. Please bless this meal. I'm talking about the kind of faith like Job. Job, a man who was righteous in God's eyes, and Satan targeted him to make him a mockery before others and before God. And Satan targeted him. God, for whatever reasons, allowed this to happen. And Job lost his health. He lost his wealth. His seven children were killed. His wife even said in her bitterness, why don't you just curse God and commit suicide? But instead, Job said, even if God kills me, I will trust him. In other words, the trust cup had been so topped up that Job knew God's character and why these bad things were happening, Job went on to say, I don't know. Shall we not receive the bad as well as the good from the hand of God? But I don't know why it's happening to me. But I can tell you this, this much I know about God, I cannot but trust his character. I would say that person is the kind of faith I'm talking about, because I had to come to that crossroads, too. I had to go away into a prayer closet during my daughter's drama. You know, the first day, her platelets had disappeared in her blood, and she could not coagulate blood, and she was hemorrhaging. Finally, after a day passed and her fever was very high, she was in an isolation ward, and they were testing her for over 300 diseases, including Ebola. They couldn't figure out what was happening to her, and... We thought that now that her platelets had begun to reappear in the second day, that her crisis was beginning to pass, that maybe the storm was over. But then when we went to the hospital on the second day, the doctor confronted us and said, she has so few red blood cells and being pregnant, her heart could stop at any time. She's critical. And of course, the baby inside her was not viable even if she died they would not have been able to save the baby and I was facing the idea that my child my only child could die and my only grandchildren and therefore that future that hope could be taken from me coming from a background where my mother was killed when I was a little boy I knew what loss felt like Having been sexually violated by an adult man, a non-family member who took purity and security from me, I knew what it was like to suffer loss. Having been separated from my father after my mother's death, I knew that things like that happened in this life and that now would I have to face it again? So I had to dig down to the depth of my faith well. And I had to say as I put my daughter in God's hands, I want her to live. But if she doesn't, she's yours. You brought her into this world, miracle against miracle that she would even exist because of what you did in me. And if you want her and you're going to take her back, then she's yours. I cannot control this situation. But at the end of the day, I will say, I am also yours. And even if you break my heart, I will not divorce you. I am yours, and I will be loyal to you, because I believe you are good. You see, one of the pastors at a church I used to work with with as a colleague, he had just come home from a trip, and he had three children, had just bought a new home. He was on his way into staff meeting. I was waiting for him to show up. He never arrived, and then we learned the terrible story that he had been killed in an accident on the way into work. He was very loved by our church and in the community. He had a wonderful name, the kind of man in whom nothing was false. And I don't know why he died. Why him? You know, nowhere in the word does God ever say we have to understand what he allows. He doesn't ask us to defend it or explain it or even like it. He says in Isaiah 55, my ways are so much higher than yours, can't appreciate it. Einstein said the finite mind cannot Understand the infinite. And so God makes that point clear. I don't ask you to like what I allow. I don't ask you to explain it or defend it. I don't ask you to like it. But I do ask you to trust me and stay loyal. Because one day your perspective will be different. And this woman, knowing God like she did, The wife of the man who died, she got up in that funeral service and she was the first to speak at that service. And she got up and people were waiting to hear what would come out of her grief stricken heart. And this was her opening statement. I will never forget it. And it was an anchor to me in my own crisis. And she said, In God, there is no cruelty. So I had to dig down to that deeper place in faith and say, I don't understand and I know what I want in my heart for an outcome. But whatever happens, I believe you were good and you are not tormenting me and you are not arbitrary and you are not being mean spirited. I believe you're good. And even if you kill me and break my heart, I will trust you. And somehow help me to go on. I felt the Holy Spirit who did not talk to me during this whole drama except for one thing. And it was at that moment, I believe I heard the Holy Spirit say, and I have to give myself that caution, because after all, in the heat of a drama, you can be very vulnerable to wishful thinking. That's why the Lord even said to his prophets of old, after it comes to pass, then you'll know you heard me. So if you think you hear God, write it down and date it. We'll see what comes to pass. Anyway, I felt the Holy Spirit said to me in that moment, Your grandson is going to be vigorous. Now, this was an understatement that has proven to be true. But because I heard that voice, something shifted in me and I moved to point number three. And point number three is I had to then activate my authority. My power, dormant it lay until now. And maybe I didn't even activate my authority that much in my own life. You know, living a public life where you're under scrutiny, where you get judged and commentary is made against you and people misrepresent you and people misunderstand you. I am used to having people judge me and be critical of me. That's just the heat that comes with a public life. I've lived it since 1984. And also coming from a background of abuse and labeling and being judged and excluded and rejected and exploited, I had learned to become, if you will, somewhat, I don't know, toughened up or calloused toward that attitude being dished toward me. But now, this was my child. And something in me wasn't going to take it anymore. Like I might take the abuse others would shovel on me, I wasn't going to take this happening to my kid. And something paternal rose up in me when I heard the Holy Spirit say, Your grandson will be vigorous. It sparked a hope that ignited a power in me. And I got up and I began to speak to the instigator. And then I began to speak to her body. And I began to bind and rebuke and take authority over Satan's effort. Because Jesus said he comes to rob and steal and kill and destroy. And I said, not my child, not on my watch, not while I've got authority and power. I can't control the outcome, but I can stand in the gap and make an intercession. And I began to bind that infection. I began to bind that virus. I began to rebuke its power to claim authority over her immune system. And then I began to speak to her immune system to rise up and fulfill the mission God created it. Take authority over that invading virus. Take it captive and kill it so it won't kill her. And I began to speak to her body strength and began to speak to her body life because if I wasn't gonna pray it, who would be? I used my authority. On the fifth day, my daughter was discharged from the hospital healthy. The doctor, her blood doctor, the hematologist, a Christian man said, I can't explain what happened to you, but your baby is healthy. The virus never jumped the placental barrier and you are healthy. You are a healthy woman. He was so impressed to this degree that he entered her story that year into the medical journal of events. Later, an epidemiologist, a friend of ours who is a professor at UCLA and who teaches on epidemiology or the study of transmissible diseases, she said it's very likely that your daughter had dengue fever, a hemorrhaging fever from the tropics. We lived in Florida at that time. There are five versions of dengue fever in Florida. She had one of them. And yet, while it takes up to a month or two to recover from dengue fever, she was well and walked out on the fifth day. Now, I can't always give you a guarantee for the outcome in your story. But I can tell you this. What if I had not stepped into my faith? What if I had not activated that authority? I'm glad that I did. And I believe she benefited because I did. And I want to inspire you with one last story before we wrap it up. Because this isn't also just about you, though it is, it's beyond you too. Because you know, I call this Berlin the city of God. Because I believe that Is God's desire and I believe it can yet be and yet you would say in a population like this city we are a small handful so what much gets done it's not the little it's the God connected and your confidence because if you don't stand in the gap for this city who does non-believers they cannot do what you have power and authority conferred upon you to do so there is a particular Asian country and in that particular Asian country a friend of mine told me the story. This particular country has now become the second most open to the gospel nation in the world. This particular nation suffered terrible genocide many years ago. But a younger generation, though missing mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and grandparents, because of that genocide, they are now embracing the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus in an unprecedented way. And just this one church I spoke for has planted over 80 churches. But 12 years earlier, when all of this was getting started, the pastor told me how in a prayer meeting, a very small group of people, a a girl there felt the Lord had spoken to her and impressed her to do something, to use their authority in a very specific way. That you see in this country, because it is of another faith as the national religion, They would invite these astrologers, would invite every year an angel to be the new prevailing spirit over the affairs of the nation. And this young woman at this prayer meeting said, We need to bind that spirit and instead invite the Holy Spirit to be the prevailing force over the nation. The people believed that this was indeed an unction within her from the Holy Spirit. And so they agreed with her and they began to pray that this is what would happen, that the prevailing angel invited would not have authority over the nation and instead that they would block that spirit and that God's spirit would prevail as the prevailing authority over the nation. And the astrologers who invite this particular spirit to show up on a televised event at their new year invited the angel and the next day they came back on media and said, we have to do this again. The angel didn't show up. And in fact, 12 years later has not, but the Holy Spirit has begun to birth an amazing work of his church in that land. I share this with you to make the point as we conclude. What if they had not prayed? What if they had not used their authority? What might God do here? Because you will agree to use your authority and intervene on behalf of the spiritual work God would like to do in your city and nation. He will hear you, and he says, where you gather in my name and pray, I will respond.